Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Dequel Jackson, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Athletes Unplugged. Today's guest is a guy I know very well. You may have seen him on ESPN's Get Up and First Take in the Morning with Stephen A. Smith and Molly Curran. Or you may have read some of his work with The Undefeated, which is a platform focused on the intersections of race, sports, and culture. And he's my good friend and neighbor, Dominique Foxworth. Nick, thanks for doing this, brother. Oh, happy to do it. I'm glad we can make the times work. You're a busy man. No, no, you're the busy man. What? Hold on. First of all, where are you right now? What, what I'm in my you? basement. I'm in the theater room. You act like you ain't never been in here before. I couldn't get the better setup. That you <laughs> no, so see, the backdrop, the shelves. You got this. Is the better setup. The other setup looks good, but this one sounds better. Since uh, we're doing a podcast, there's carpet in here. It's soft. This is where I do like I do Bomani podcast once a week. This is where I record podcasts from. I gave okay. you a good setup. Okay, all right. I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> that. So, uh, as we were talking before beforehand you know I, you, you're a very good friend of mine you're one of the first people that i had a encounter with which i'll get into that later but uh when i i got to Maryland, we'll get into that later but i noticed there was two things that i'd already known about you but as i did more research i realized it was a com it, it was something that was reoccurring from the very first moment you um you know moved from oxford <laughs> England and transitioned to the DMV area. And that was education and that was writing. So my question to you is, at what point in your in the Foxworth household did education become so important? Because it seems to me graduating high school early yeah. is a huge feat. Graduating college early is a huge feat. So again, when did that become such a, 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 a stronghold in the Foxworth household? To be honest with you, like it was... Uh... My parents, my dad was in the military, so um, he was going to college as soon as like he was going to college while he was in the military. So he wow. was he was poor in Charlotte in a neighborhood called the Rocks. <laughs> and when you a poor Negro from the Rocks, <laughs> when you graduate high school, you go into the military. So he went in the military, but he always wanted more for himself. So when I was a kid, he was in college. Um, yeah. My mom went to graduate school while I was in um, high school, I think, on and off. So, like, I think it was just an example they set. And also just, like, I don't know, I'm competitive. And yeah. Yeah. even though the schools that I went to, um, the grades were not celebrated. Like, my friends were not, like, we were, like, competing. I, my daughter got really upset a couple of days ago because she got a 91, and some of her friends – got a hundred on some tests and she was like really upset and she's 11 and i'm like 91 that's right. pretty right. good to me like, a lot better yeah. yeah so they're competitive over grades but i guess i was just also competitive it was like i, I don't know i, I want to do well at this thing if i'm doing it if i'm gonna come to school might as well but see but it. see that's where you 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 like to undersell yourself because the high school <laughs> you went to was a technology and environmental yeah. science high school like that that to me sounds different that to i me didn't want to go there i hated that place i liked yeah. it when i got there so like right. my my um elementary school and middle school was uh they weren't that great <laughs> they weren't very good in the the um home uh high school is randallstown in my neighborhood and it also was not very good and so my brother uh went to a, a magnet school 
called Western Tech, and I didn't want to go, but my mom made me go. I didn't want to go because the football team was two years old. All I cared about, I wanted to play football. And Randallstown was good at damn football. They wasn't good at at reading and writing, but they were scoring these touchdowns. That's why I wanted to go. And that's why all my friends was going. And I got sent to this, this stupid school, magnet school, with, like, a bunch of white people there and <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a small football team. For for a guy that didn't want to go there, I mean, I don't know the football side or how many yeah. offers you had or how how much attention you would receive your junior and uh, senior year, but you graduated early. So clearly, if you didn't want to be there, you definitely had the the wits about you and the smarts to, to say, you know what, let me take, let me do what I need to do in order to play football, because ultimately, as you said, I, it's funny, I read some play, I read an article um, where you you were talking about a, a conversation you and your father had, Mr. Lorenzo. <laughs> don't don't stop messing with me. Yes, you are. I'm not going to take a shot. Okay. I know you're going to take a shot at, at Lou Lorenzo. Lou Lorenzo. I love Lou Lorenzo, man. I love him. That's my guy. I love him. That's my you guy. Gotta, you, yeah, my dad's short, and, and Dequel always be calling him Lou Lorenzo. It's, it's <laughs> but, funny. But I've it's never funny. called that to his face. I've never called him <laughs> Lou Lorenzo to his face. That's I true. Not that's true. A man in the military of his stat- statue. I would not do that, but that's been our little inside joke for, for years. But uh, where was I going? So did you have a ton of... So let me go back to what I was saying. So the conversation, this article I read um, of a conversation between you and Lil Lorenzo, uh, you were six years old, and he asked yeah. you what you wanted to be. And you were like, a football player. And when I read it, I was like, damn, I don't know if I knew I wanted to play in the NFL at that time. But like, how did, how, so for you going to a, a technology school and yeah. environmental science school, how did that correlate? Because yeah, I mean, it was, was fresh. Yeah. And now yeah. you have these big dreams. How did that kind of manifest itself in high school? I was angry. Cause, um, so when I was six and I told my dad that I was six, so I, I really believed it was a real possibility. I imagine that Lil Lorenzo was real, was realistic and probably thought it was unrealistic that I was going to play in football. But it was interesting thing that he told me he used that as an opportunity to teach me something that I was that I would need going forward. And he said, all right, well, that's your goal. Make sure you do one thing every day to get closer to your goal. Yes. And yeah. yeah. And he used that as a as an opportunity to teach me rather than saying how about you get a more realistic goal? Right. Um, right. He taught me that you need to work towards it. And then that night, I remember doing sit-ups. I put my feet underneath the bunk bed so <laughs> that I wouldn't flip up. And I did sit-ups until my stomach was messed up. And then <laughs> me and my dad, yeah, I, I had a, a bad pooping issue that night. And then me and my dad, I just dehydrated the hell out of myself because in oh, my no. little special mind, I was like, I'm going to the NFL right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna do, and so then we had a conversation about moderation. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then I remember the like I was a good athlete, but I was always small. So like in mm. Pop Warner football, I won. We won the the championship. We went down to Disney World. We got destroyed in the mm. national championship game by the Winston Salem Tiny Vikings. Never forget them because they were not mm. tiny and they mm. destroyed us. But okay. anyway. I was a pretty good football player, but the idea that I was going to play professionally is still a long shot. 
for most people. But in my mind, yeah, this is what I'm going to do, play football, until they was like, you're not going to Randallstown. And then I was like, well, how am I going to get a scholarship if I got to go? And I'm not joking when I say the school was new. They had a football team for two years before I got there. Wow. Their football team was varsity and JV. It was that small. Before I got there, the team would play varsity games and JV games. My first year there was the first year that they had a JV team. So I played JV as a freshman. And then my sophomore year, I started both ways and we were one and nine. So that's it. I didn't know that. I I, I didn't know that. I assume when I got to, you know, our years of friendship, I just assume you went to a pretty good competitive high school from a football standpoint. Nope, so it was trash. Leads, yeah, so that leaves me. So that even, you know, kind of speaks to the player that you actually were. Uh-huh. And so, at one point, did you? What was your offer situation like? Because I want to yeah. skip over. I want to get to the football stuff before sure. we dive into the 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 meat of of your sure. career that we both are very much interested on. Because you you played seven years in the National Football League, but how did someone? I mean, you had to overcome a lot. It seems like to just be recognized because the school is fairly new. So what yeah, this is like for you your senior year. Yeah, so my my sophomore year we were terrible. Um, mm-hmm. I was uh one of the better players on the team, and we were one and nine. And then my junior year, we went eight and two. Right. And I was balling, and so yeah. I think that that probably helped a lot. Is the coach was coach of the year. And so so people took notice, like, what the hell is going on over here? Like, this Mm -hmm. tiny school, they stink. And now all of a sudden, they're, like, competitive. And I think that got me some attention. That's when the offer started coming. And then um, you go to camps. That happens a lot, too. It's like, once people get your attention, they're like, all right, well, you need to go to Penn State football camp. You need to go to Maryland's football camp. You need to go to these football camps. And then you go to football camps, and then you are – with the best players because these are other players that are invited to these camps so it's a lot of kids there that just are paying just to go to football camp because they like football camp but then there's Mm -hmm. also a lot of kids that Mm -hmm. are there like trying to get noticed and so then i'm at these football camps with these other top players and then after that that's when i get like a five-star ranking and all that stuff because they then see that hey yeah he's not out of place with these guys and so that that's how it came to be and 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 then senior year went fine and then i decided to go to maryland yeah and that's what leads me to this next point uh so you're at maryland you graduate early you start early Mm. what was that like being a young kid which you could have you know took advantage of being a senior in high school and had some time and hang out with your friends and just be a kid before you become a student athlete and uh, and everything that comes with that. What was that transition like for for a young kid? It was fine, man. Cause like I'm, I'm, you know me, and like <laughs> you, you uh, we being all professional on here, but you know I'm a little bit crazy in some ways, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I am finally getting to a point in my life. And you're having you around as a neighbor has helped finally get to a point in my life where I can enjoy things for the things that they are rather than like in the past, it was like, I gotta succeed. Like I'm not happy if I'm not succeeding. I'm not happy if I'm not getting to the next goal. And that's a, that's a, I mean, it's rewarding, but it's a terrible way to live your whole life. So like, I remember when I was um, 
Philip Rivers, I think the year before I went, was like the first player who left early and went in for a spring practices second half of the senior year. It was the first player that I heard of doing it. Wow. And so my high school coach was like, why don't you do that? And we looked into it and saying I graduated early is a true thing. But then we looked into what it takes, the qualifications to like graduate high school. I ain't do nothing extra. It was just like there, the bar is pretty low. If you look up at the numbers, you can do it. So then I saw it and I was like, oh yeah, all right, I can get this done. I got it done. I went to Maryland that semester. It was a new thing. So there was not like a program prepared for me to do it. So I have to be honest, it was hard oh. as hell. Like wow. now people do it regularly. So like they have expectations for it. They didn't have a scholarship ready for me. So my parents were paying. What? Yeah. They, um, they didn't have a scholarship. I didn't get a scholarship until the next fall. So my parents paid for that semester. And I remember getting there. They dropped me off. The next morning I had workouts and I go into to lift weights and they had to call. They had to fax my mom and dad a permission slip because I was only 17. Oh and I couldn't God. lift weights until they faxed back the permission slip. Oh my God. <laughs> and then I I was getting my ass kicked in spring practice because I was yeah, terrible. You're a kid. Yeah, right. I was 153 pounds and getting whooped. And I also remember going to class and thinking it was easy because mm-hmm. you're just sitting there. It's not like high school, at least my high school, where there's like worksheets and then there's like homework and whatever. Like, yeah, it's like. Yeah, they just keep you doing stuff. And so I'm sitting in these lectures. And I'm like, oh, college is easy. I just <laughs> sit in here and wow. listen. And then midterms came around. And I was like, oh, I was yeah, supposed yeah. to be taking notes. You're I was right. supposed to be paying attention. You're and right. I got my ass bust on the <laughs> midterms. I was able to come back. But I, um, I remember just how hard all that was to go through. It was a tough experience. Yeah, so I, my biggest... One of my all-time favorite memories of you is probably one of the first few days or weeks I was on the campus of Maryland. Was I being an and asshole? I feel like I was being. Were an you asshole. being an asshole? So <laughs> let me, I, I, I think I've told you this story, but I remember uh, Christina knows this story very well. Uh, you were out of all the people that I've met. This is after the whole hoopla with you know the the visit is over. And now I'm here, I'm at Maryland and I'm trying to get acquainted. And I remember meeting you and, you know, I'm from small city in Florida. Uh, the accent was thick, the accent was thick. My lingo was on a something, something completely different than I, you know, any one of you guys had ever heard. And I remember speaking to you and you gave me this look like, what the, what the hell is he talking about? And you might have said, it was like, I can't I probably did. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm like, this is good. This, this you, Dominique Fox, I'm going to remember your name? Because at some point, you and I going to have some problems. I hated you. I hated you for the first uh, time we met. And it's funny uh, how things kind of go full yeah. circle. Um, I'm sorry. Wow. My closest friends and confidants and mentors and all those other good things. But so let's, let's, let's go to some of your earlier years in the National Football League. This is when I realized, like, um, you were very much so the writer that you've become to be. Uh-huh. I read someplace you used to write a diary for the different yeah. posts, just, you know, expressing your thoughts. And that was, was that your first kind of introduction into writing and, and kind of fulfilling that 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 passion that yeah. you have. For? 
Yeah, I mean, I always kind of liked to write, but I never really um, took it too seriously. So once I was in the NFL, like I didn't have class anymore. I didn't have school anymore. And I still like had a desire to like express myself in some way. So I reached out to the Denver Post and and of course they were going to take it. I wasn't asking for no money. I was just giving them a free like weekly thing and just to exercise this urge that I had. And so, yeah, it was a good experience. I enjoyed it. It was and it was it turned out like I was a third round pick and I was the third cornerback drafted to the Broncos that year. And so they had to be thinking like, OK, whatever. This right. guy ain't. Because Darren Williams was the yeah. second rounder. Yeah. 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 Darren Williams. They didn't have a first rounder. They, they got Darren in the second round. Then they got Paul, Carl Pema in the third round and they had a compensatory oh, wow. pick right. and they got me with the compensatory pick also in the third round. And so the way things panned out with injuries and, and, and with just training camp, like I played well, I ended up starting eight games opposite champ and starting the two playoff games. So there was a lot to write about when they probably just thought it was going to be just like eh, some boring stories from the sideline. Yeah. No, no, you know what? I, I realized I didn't give you a chance to respond to the previous comment I made. Oh, yeah. What do, do, do you have anything to say to me? I do. I'm, I'm sorry, Dequel. No, I, no, I hope no, that no, I've no, made I it up to I you. I don't, no, no, I don't hold need on, the apology. I don't hold, need the apology. Hold on. Hold on. You know me better than that. I was setting you up for the takedown and you ruined it. It was going to be a fake apology. You <laughs> oh, I know it. it. Oh, I know it. That's why I wanted to interrupt. That's why no. I wanted to interrupt. No, I was. Honestly, I am an asshole. Like, I, 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 no, I realize. No, no, no. Look at, look at it. Right now, what I'm doing in front of a microphone, you didn't realize at the time, but I was the, I was very much, I was shy. I wouldn't say a word in high school. And when I got, when you said that to me, I'm like, oh, I need to put my big boy pants on. I can't. I want to fight him. I want to fight him. I, I really you want to. Have. But I was like, this is it what college the whole experience is about is about meeting other people and learning from other people whatever and i had i was an asshole and i was a bully no, no, and and it, i'm it was, sorry it about was, that but yeah, i think I, mean, I like i like that you have put a positive spin on it but that's just hard man like i think not to not to excuse myself because i i did a lot of uh mean you things you were confident yeah i was you, you let me you, tell you let me tell you, you hold on hold, 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 hold let me tell you let me tell you this story let me tell you this story <laughs> When I first got there, I did, I left this out that first, that second pass of my senior year of high school, I'm in college. And I show up with the same confidence that um that you saw. And I'm like, I'm here. The reason why I picked Maryland, like I had offers from bigger schools. The reason why I picked Maryland was because they sucked the year before. And I was like, I can start at cornerback immediately. So right. I get there and I'm I have all that confidence, talking right. like that, acting like that. You know, we had uh boxing gloves in a locker room yeah and i i called uh you remember karome cox yes uh, a, a damn walking muscle <laughs> he was he was starting at cornerback opposite tony okalawan and tony was like the better player at the time so mm. i called karome out as uh as a high school senior and was like i'm gonna take his spot and I called him out because everyone's boxing. And I was like, yeah, yeah I'm going right. to box him. Right. I want to thank Karome. I've done it before. <laughs> I want to thank him because he took he took the belt. And yeah. it did not take long <laughs> for him to hit me with the fastest, hardest hook <laughs> I'd ever been hit with in my life. 
and I was dazed. He didn't put me to sleep, but I was dazed. And uh-huh. I want to thank him for not finishing. He did. He did not come back with another blow. So I'll oh, have you know goodness. that what I did to you, I got while it. laughing at the way that you talked, was was better than what happened to me. How, how I got put in my place because CC rocks my shit, and it was. Oh uh, man, that that I remember those days. I, I remember yeah. I had to uh, box uh, Leon Joe. Oh, Joe was the linebacker version of Cox. He was a walking muscle. Yeah. And I remember I thought I'd do. I'd never put a pair of gloves on before in my life. And I must have maybe grazed his nose. Mm -hmm. And I remember just a flurry of just body shot. (laughs) (laughs) And I played it off. But yeah, it it was a humbling experience. I get that. So I I get it. It makes sense now. It it really does. So. so let's get to. I know you follow the news. I know you. You. This is what, you know, part of your job description is is following what happens in uh, sports. So I. I don't know if you follow the WNBA, uh-huh. but um, I noticed something recently that came out about the owner. So basically, Joe Ty is the co-founder of Alibaba. Alibaba. Am I saying that right? Yes. Yep. And so he's the owner of the Brooklyn Nets. And the owner of the New York Liberty. I don't know if you read the latest article about. Yeah, I read it. Yeah, uh, just how they were fined for chartering flights for the WNBA team from the second part of the year. So this is maybe it was new to me, but I found that very just disturbing. I know we're in Women's History Month right now, so. This whole notion that there's a competitive advantage of taking care of your athletes who are doing all the labor, who you're mm-hmm. profiting off of, a chartered flight, that seems obsessive. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that it probably is a competitive advantage. And that's the reason why you should do it. <laughs> like, right. you're trying right. to get it. Right. Like, yeah, and uh, it is it is disturbing for a number of reasons. But the idea that they want to, like, as much as I hate a salary cap or hate any of those things that are that suppress wages or encourage people, encourage teams to mistreat their players, like, I, it's not written into CBAs. The idea that they are writing in, like, you can't give them too much, don't treat them too good, is outrageous to me, especially when you're considering this some sort of investment like okay the WNBA is not a cash cow at this moment but no startup is and WNBA is still in like the the growing phase right. and it's important to invest in that yes. if you want people to watch it if you want people to appreciate it not only do you need to market it not only do you need to get the best talent but you treat that talent well and yes. The idea that that right now, while they're trying to grow, that they also want to suppress costs, to me, seems counterintuitive. Because what you do when you're trying to grow a startup or grow any business is you don't suppress costs. You invest. And and this, to me, feels like an opportunity to invest in the players and make the product better to ensure that the women aren't, um, aren't incentivized. The best players aren't incentivized to go play in Europe, that they play in the W. Like all that, that makes sense to me. It seems illogical to try to undercut any of that. Yeah, and especially it's off of the heels of this big $75 million 
you know, uh, effort to push the game globally. Right. When I read that article, it was like, okay, so what's being invested to the players? To me, it's just a lot. There's a lot that's going on within the WNBA that's just mind blowing to me that a professional team, these professional elite athletes that are women are sitting middle seats in Southwest fights. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous yeah. to me. And especially yeah. when you have an owner like Joe Ty, who basically was at the center of the social justice um, kind of movement. And, you know, he started a social justice fund and he's been outspoken about some of the things that he's done. And so it's just, it just seems like here's a guy who understands business, who wants to push the envelope and everything that you said, it just seems counterintuitive. Yeah. You're right. Seems like they should be on the other end is like penalizing teams who don't treat their athletes well enough. Like penalizing teams for being too good to the labor to me feels repressive and stupid. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, so another uh, article that everyone's talking about. And I've had the pleasure of speaking with this gentleman on a handful of occasions, uh, Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson is, first of all, let me, let me, and you know this, but I'm married to a woman that is from one of the best historically black colleges. That's Howard University. That's my wife, Christina. Her, both of her parents are graduates from Howard University, which is an HBCU. The fact that Hugh Jackson thought it was remotely okay to have a guy stand in front of black men, black young men at HBCUs where the culture, the education of blackness is prevalent. You thought it was okay for this guy to lead men on the, which the guy hadn't, art brows is who I'm talking about. He hadn't had a job in over six years. And for people who don't know the story, he was attached to this sexual assault scandal in Baylor, which he pretty much overlooked allegations of, uh, of more than too many of his athletes were involved in allegations of, uh, of sexual uh, misconduct. And he thought it was OK for him. Hugh Jackson thought it was OK that this guy given a second chance, which I am a component of. But the timing of it, when Hugh Jackson was was having his media, you know, uh, circuit of saying that he had been a part of another scandal of of being incentivized to lose games and how um, um, unfair it is as a black head coach, et cetera, et cetera. What are your thoughts about any of those things? Yeah, I mean, our brows at Baylor, like he was a party to some really horrible um, cover up there and and. Certainly, it's not a defense of Art Briles, but like there are a lot of people at that institution who deserve to pay a price for what went on there. Like it was it was uh, an institutional problem, not an Art Briles problem, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Like he was part of this machine and he was probably the biggest um, and most like recognizable part of it. And that's a lot of reason why he paid the price. But I do think that we don't. Sometimes when we talk about it, we think that Art Bryles was the only guy at Baylor allowing this to happen. Like, no, it was the entire university and, frankly, in large part fueled by a culture. Like, we're coming off, off talking about how the women athletes are being mistreated in the WNBA. Like, it's, it's a societal problem. Like, 
<laughs> the our country does not respect women. Like it's just mm-hmm. be honest. And like as as black men, I can see some parallels in how our country in general like undervalues, underappreciates, and mistreats black people. So like there are um plenty of issues for us to focus on there. And our brows has to pay a price for what he's done there. But I do think the point that you brought up is the most important one um, for Hugh Jackson is how could you be so wrong on so many different optical fronts? Like it's not a good look to bring in our brows because of our brows history. It's also not a good look to bring in a white coach weeks after you were on ESPN saying that black coaches don't get fair opportunities. Like not only did you go find a white coach and our brows is a hell of a football mind. Like I understand the reason why you want to have a guy like Art Browse in there, but not only did you go and give an opportunity to a white coach, which like to suggest that there are no black coaches that have the expertise that Art Browse has or the ability to reach that level, like that's an issue. To do that and on top of the sexual assault stuff, like there's if you wanted to hire a white coach, hire a white coach who ain't linked to this. And if you wanted to, and you should also should probably not, I guess the, the point, someone with the talent and expertise of Art Browse, Grambling's going to have a hard time getting that guy to be the offensive coordinator unless he's coming off of a scandal. But I do think that there are black coaches who may not have reached the, the level of success that Art Browse have, who have comparable ability. And if the other black coaches are not going to look for him and find him, then who the hell is? <laughs> right, right. That's a great point. And that's well said. Uh, I want to change gears for a second and I want to go back to um, just basically your family, Uh, because I have a very uh, if you don't know Dominique and whatever you whatever impression you may have of him on ESPN, on Get Up, uh, First Take and some of his articles he's he's uh, he's been a part of. You may think he's a bright individual. He's an intelligent guy. But to be quite honest with you, he's probably the least intelligent yeah. of his household. That's because his wife, Ashley, is brilliant mother, brilliant yeah. personality, but she is extremely smart. Yeah. So much so when Mr. Foxworth, as he was the youngest vice president of the executive committee of the Players Association, which led to him ultimately becoming the president of the NFL Players Association, which ultimately led to him going to Harvard and receiving his MBA. So did his wife. And before that, she had a law degree from Howard, or I'm sorry, from Harvard. And he has three beautiful children. His oldest, Avery, is an absolute godsend. <laughs> She's a saint. Declan oh, is like any other boy. He's like Dominique reincarnated, but just he's had he has the world figured out. Uh, Emerson, she she is she wants to be Declan, but she's just a sweetheart. <laughs> she's a sweetheart. But can I tell this quick story of Avery, your oldest? Can I tell the story, feel, please? Feel free. So Dominique is a neighbor, and so we spend time together, our families, and we were over his house. We were down in his mansion of a house and we were in the kitchen area and uh, we were hanging out doing what adults do. And all of a sudden I heard this music coming from upstairs and 
it wasn't hip hop, it wasn't RB, it wasn't country, it wasn't any of those things. It was a symphony. It was a <laughs> it was a symphony plan. And to me, I know I know Dominique, I know his wife, I know what music he listens to. So I decided to follow this strange music that I really <laughs> wouldn't hear in the household, in my household. Uh, so I follow this uh, music and lo and behold, it's the beautiful and the one and only, his oldest daughter, Avery. And not only she's in her room and she has a symphony playing in the background, but not only that, she's sitting on her bed or couch or whatever it is, and she's reading. But she's not just reading Paw Patrol or what kids read, right? How old is Avery? How old is Avery? She's 11 now. She's 11. She was probably nine, 10 at uh-huh. the time. She's sitting on a couch or, or, or bed and she's reading a story of black women. Of, it was like a Maya Angelou book. And it just talked about all the powerful black women that we've been blessed with. And I just remember see, sitting there and thinking, my jaw, my my jaw. <laughs> I, I'd never seen this before. And I asked, I'm like, hey Avery, how are you? She was like, How are you doing, Dequel? I was like, I'm fine. And I was like, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm just reading. Um, and I was like, You're a saint. And I think I walked out. And I've been telling this story for years. <laughs> but she's an absolute saint, man. How uh, blessed are you to have yeah, such a man. smart family that yeah. you know, you're just a beautiful family, man. And, and just I having kids that that mirror. You and Ashley, it, it's got to be a blessing. She's not, she's not like either of us. She's, she's <laughs> different, but she listens to all the other stuff too, all the cussy music that you would expect she's her not to listen to. Yeah, she listens to that too. So it's, it, it's not just like uh, symphonies playing over here. She's, she's a special young lady. But let me tell you about the, the kid that makes me most proud. Mm-hmm. It's your son because I take full responsibility. Like I, I, I put I put you and Christina together, and I'm so happy that I could see the vision that that my little man King is here. Yeah. I'm not his godfather, but he know that that I am just as responsible as everybody else in that family for him being here. He's a cute little monster, and I love him to death, and I can't wait to see him again. Yes, let's clarify. I made my child, but don't oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I ain't do, I ain't do the I ain't do the sweating. I ain't do the sweating. It's I just that, I did that. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> at, at my wedding, um, I invited uh, Christina was a friend of my wife, so she invited Christina, and I invited obviously my friends. Dequel was one of them, and we had a single table, oh. and we put oh, it was it was a, it was a great table. I still I still talk to some of my friends and teammates back then, like that was the best wedding they ever been to. But we had a singles table and they met at the singles table and the rest is history. The rest is history. So I have you to thank for that. I, I really do. I'm forever indebted to you, my friend. Nah, you good. I had to make I had to make up for making fun of you when I was 19 <laughs> I, or whatever. You made up. You made up. Apologies. <laughs> so what so what's now that you know football season is over? You know, the L.A. Rams were crowned the best team in, in football. You know, what does your work schedule look like yeah. now that you're not commuting from uh, the D.C. area to New York? What is your work like? Yeah. Balance so like? I'm, 
I'm getting back to that real soon because, as you know, football never stops. So free agency right. period is opening up soon. So I'll be back up in New York on Mondays doing get up and stuff for that. And also I'm trying to dive into some draft prep because I'm going to go out to Vegas and and do, uh, uh, I think, an online draft show um, for yeah. that. And yeah, and also I'm I'm working on this other project where I'm, I'm writing for a TV show. So I'm I'm keeping busy while also trying to be a decent father and husband, you know, the routine. <laughs> no, you, you, you're doing a, a fantastic job, man. Oh, so I, I know what I wanted to bring up. You. Yes. Yeah. I don't like, so, that. um, you know, I'm a fan of, I'm a, obviously I'm a good friend of yours and I watch you when you're working, when you're on national television, I pay attention because you, you, you bring something to the table. Um, but you were on the podcast. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I knew you, you set me up for something. No, 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 no. It's easy. It's simple. You, you okay. can't be biased out of anything. You're, you're a pro okay. at that. So you're on Face First with uh, Ryan Clark and okay. the big swaggoo walking motivational speaker. That's what you guys <laughs> <laughs> So you guys talked about, particularly in sports and as an analyst, Wednesdays become, it's like a rough day. And you yeah. guys coined it cultural Wednesdays mm -hmm. and you guys brought up a moment that was pretty fascinating to me. My question to you, how did that start? Because you guys talked about a situation and I didn't actually see this particular yeah. segment about Paul Feinbaum, who I think is a great college analyst and uh, it's fun hearing him, uh, his, his anecdotes and, and yeah. the way his mind works. What the hell happened? Yeah. That so moment where like, what, what happened with that? Yeah, so it was um, we were doing some like quick little segments where we were giving opinions on people, and what happened was Paul had given his opinion on on Eli Manning, and I don't remember exactly what happened, but his opinion on Eli Manning was uh, was very like favorable and positive, which is fine. And then the yeah, the immediate following segment was about cam newton and it was like a a positive thing about cam newton but he pivoted from that to to just like kind of um challenging cam newton's character and 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 it, it seemed pretty obvious to all of us the inconsistency so um ryan called him out because i couldn't get there fast enough he beat me to the microphone because it was something that and uh, like to your point like i don't dislike paul I don't know him like know him, know him, but like I'm around him enough. He's a likable, nice guy. But if we're not going to call out our own unconscious or conscious bias, then uh, and be there for each other and be. I remember after the show, people from the network reached out to say thank you because I think other people saw it. And um, and had we just let it slide like that would have been a lot worse for him and all of us, but we called it out and made it funny, but also addressed it. And I think again, like, I don't know, Paul, know him, know him, but from what I, the time I spend around Paul, like, I don't feel like he's an evil person, but we all have unconscious bias and his was showing. And then we, and we felt like it was important to, to let him know that it was happening because we are on TV. And it's something that I, I, I talked to, when I first started doing TV, I, I never, when I left football, I never wanted to do TV. That's why I went to business school. Cause I was like, had I kind of looked down on 
football player. It's like you can't do nothing but play football, and then you talk about football. And right. I didn't want to be that guy, but I talked to uh, some of my other friends who are in other parts of the world, and they're like, you know what? Like the power of being on television every day, like the impact that you can have is is huge. And like just being there and being smart and being um, confident and being like unafraid to show your blackness and like not trying to like code switch to make white people comfortable is like showing all the things like you can speak in slang. You can make references or allusions to to I'm going to get you sucker and still also like be informed and like that has value. And then on top of it, to be able to call out these things that we all sit home and watch. And the conversation that came out afterwards was important to me to express to people that what Paul was doing there is not something new. The new part was it being called out. Cause like we've, we've seen this stuff when we watch it at home or in barbershops or whatever. And we, look at each other like you see that racist shit like that's that's and now we can be in the place to to call it out so like i whenever i get down on myself about like being a talking head on tv i remind myself that like it has value and every now and then um the best thing that one of the best byproducts of doing this job is some old black people come up to me every now and then happened at the grocery (laughs) store a couple weeks ago an old black lady who was stocking the shelves I asked her for something and then she came and found me again. It's like, I thought that was you. I just want to say, keep doing your thing and and keep giving them hell. Let them know. And I I know what she's talking about. And that just, I ain't telling um, ESPN to stop paying me, but no, no, it feels like it's better than the payment. Yeah, of course not. And I feel like they've laid a platform for that, that conversation to happen because you couldn't avoid it with the George Floyd incident and how, professional teams were getting involved and outspoken about issues that affected them directly. It was very important to have the different personalities of a, a passionate swagoo and a funny and, and quippy Ryan Clark. And then you have you on there that has, that kind of puts a bow on it all. You have humor, you have the education, you have the history behind it. And it also means something to you because yeah. listen, living in this area, and being with the women that we're with and their families, you know, it's important to educate yourself on our history. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that's very nah. important. These families, uh, man, it's nice that I got you. Yeah, they, no, listen, likewise, mean, man. Yeah. We, <laughs> I, you, you and I see eye to eye. Like the yeah. worst thing, yeah, and, and the worst thing that they see, or the worst person in their family is like a lawyer. I'm like, man. <laughs> Uh, Ooh, worst yeah. dude in my family been behind bars <laughs> for yes, many uh, years now <laughs> right but it but it works it's it, yeah. it, so beautiful it way it works because two different backgrounds are able to see common commonalities in each other and and their uh you know their values so it i'm thinking you know you've been such a what 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 do you want to do next have you given it much thought because you're dominant you're not going to say this, but let me say this. You've been dominating. You're dominating the space that you're in. And let me give you your flowers for a second. Because there, there aren't many talents, public figures that are able to. This is uncomfortable. I know it is. I know it is. And that's I don't why like I'm it. Saying. I know. It. I know you hate it. And that's why I'm going to take my time <laughs> and pour it out. A slow drip. Uh, I'm, slow drip. I'm, losing, I'm losing service. My Wi-Fi is breaking down. Don't you worry. I'll still talk. 
But I think it's unique that you have someone in your position who was extremely gifted in football. You played, what was it, seven seasons in the National mm-hmm. Football League? Yeah, I love Hot. this. You're feeling uncomfortable. Yes. Take, yeah, take your shirt off. <laughs> take your shirt off. Oh. <laughs> and the ability to be able to deliver messages and be able to articulate it very well, but also have the ability to write pieces. So that's very rare. And I don't know if a lot of people understand just how difficult it is being on national television every single day where I'm sure the production meetings are at four or five in the morning and you have to be Uh able to be present. So I have to give you your flowers while you're here. And uh, I appreciate your work. So I'm going to be that old, old black man that's telling you, you know, you speak for a lot of us. You speak for, I'm glad you're speaking for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because I would, I would, I would say some, some stuff that they will probably have to, hey, now nah, this, nah, this isn't going to work. But, nah, uh, you, you got it. And like having, the, having editors really helps with the writing part. Like you and I have the same conversations. Uh, I, I think you haven't had to practice writing, but if you did, you would, because it's not like we're talking like I'm speaking a language that you don't understand. Like you and I have the same like level of thought, just you didn't put in the effort to like learn how to write. And all that is is just time. It's like with anything, I was I was spent the time doing it. You you could do the same thing and the same thing with the TV show. Like you talk about you hosting this damn thing, running it, doing the research all by yourself. Like you could do all this shit too. It you ain't know, that you hard. Know, you, you know what I realized because I, I enjoy when I play. I could watch films to the week. I would fall asleep watching. Yeah. So this yeah. like kind of scratches that itch of yeah. man, I get to research and find yeah. out feel about who I'm talking to and, yeah. uh, and then I'm having a conversation. Yeah. But, the, skills, uh, the skills are trans are like trans transferable. And as far as like what's next, like honestly, it, it feels silly to try to make like a plan because I I mean everything for the last several years, none of it's really gone according to plan and even when it felt like it was going according to plan things went off track so like when i signed my big deal to go play in baltimore where i grew up i was like oh man it's gonna be great i'm gonna win a super bowl i'm gonna be the man in my home city i tore my acl and i never quite fully recovered and off of that that injury like you think uh damn that's a sad time it was sad it was difficult but it gave me time to get more involved in the union which when I got involved in the union and did the negotiations, then that opened my eyes to like, I thought before that, like in order to be like in business, like I thought they were as special, like the owners were as special Mm -hmm. as we were as players. Like I thought that in order to make that much money and be that powerful, you must've been like the smartest. Sure. Just, just like we were like exceptional athletes. Then I realized like, no, this is like, they're not dumb, but like a lot of it is, luck and hard work and i can work hard and and hope things pan out for me too so that's when i shifted my focus to business school and i'm going to business school like all right i'm gonna leave and i'm gonna work my way up and be like a ceo of a company but then Mm -hmm. i get out and i um i go to mbpa and i don't like it i'm working too much i'm away from the family and so i go home and i go back to writing and i just start writing stuff because i have free time Mm because i quit and we moved back to dc from um new york and i'm like all right i'm not gonna be a stay-at-home dad like i that's mm-hmm. that just because that was what my thought was like i'm not spending yeah. time with family so i was like i'm gonna leave and i'm gonna spend so much more time with family and i'm doing that and i'm like nah i'm unhappy which is making me 
like a worse parent. So then I started writing and sending stuff to places to get published. And then it started getting published. Then ESPN was like, hey, you want to come on and do some radio stuff? And so like it wasn't yeah. part of the plan. And now, like I told you, I'm writing this TV stuff now. I didn't at no point that I think I was going to be like a, a script writer. But like they're working on a sports related thing and they wanted someone who had some experience, expertise. And I'm doing that every day. So like who the hell knows where they end up? Just you, you were, yeah, you've inspired me yeah, during COVID for sure. Cause we spent a lot of, you know, everyone spent a lot of time home with their yep. families and within their thoughts. So I actually, you don't know this. We had a conversation. I was over your house in the basement. You were doing some work. I was doing some, some work. And I started through that conversation. I started writing. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, one day I woke up like, let me write about where it all started, right? And then I, I got to a point where I was like, I don't know where this is going. And I say that to say a few weeks ago, a good friend of mine who is, he's the comms director, for, talking to him about writing. And he gave me a great concept of a starting point because I told him I come to a point where I just couldn't, I needed some strategy. I needed a plan at this mm-hmm. point. And he was like, start from the end. Mm-hmm. Start from the end and work your way back. And you'll be amazed at how much content comes from that. And now you can you can start to like chapter things out. And it was like mind blowing. Yeah. So that's definitely something that I've taken uh you yeah. know a recent interest on. But what uh I know you're a reader. You know, any 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 books that, that you're reading right now that's got your attention? Yeah, I just finished a couple of them. So there's one called How to Be Perfect that's um, by this TV writer guy who also, um, it's it's a philosophy book. So it's just about making decisions. It's short. It's good. I like that. And then there's Quite another short. book. Yeah. There's another book called Dark Matter that's a, a little bit older, but it's a novel that's like, um, it's a sci-fi book, but with most great sci-fi books, it's like about more than... Um, than just like the aliens or whatever. So there are no aliens in this one. It's kind of about time travel, but it's it's really, the story is really about um, regret and valuing the life that you live because this guy is, he is able to like jump across different um, timelines essentially and go see different lives that uh, other versions of him would have lived had he made different decisions. And so, like, it starts out the beginning of the book. It's called Dark Matter. The beginning of the book starts out with him with a son and a wife. And, like, he's cool. Everything's okay. But he's a really great scientist. And he's, like, imagining what life would have been like had he not gotten married and had a child and had he, let like, leaned into the science stuff. And yeah. And so, like, he's having that. And I think we all have those thoughts, you know? Like, maybe not about a relationship. But I think often, or in the past, I've thought, like, had I made a different decision, like how would things be be different? So it was just an interesting book because it like, like forced me to explore those things. <laughs> yeah, it's called Dark Matter. Check yeah, it out. They got audio version too. Yeah, I'm an I'm a audio and yeah. I'm a little bit of both. I'm an audio guy. Yeah. So, so thing. Um, I'm going to get you out of here. I know you're busy, but I, I just got a few more questions for you. You got it. Uh, a little bit more entertaining. But you talked about, earlier you talked about your humbling experience with Carone in uh, college which led to you being 
<clears throat> so to me, when we first met, <laughs> but uh, did you have that moment when you got to the NFL? Where uh, did you have which guys did you lean on? Because I went back and and, and checked your know, the roster of guys you played with: Chan uh-huh. Bailey, Hall of Famer; yeah. John Lynch, Hall of Famer; Dre Bly was was yeah. was a, yeah. a steward. Pro Bowl, yeah. was a Pro Bowler. You know, uh, was there a moment? Do you remember a moment when you had that aha moment? It's like, damn, yeah. I'm, I'm playing. I'm a, I'm a kid amongst grown yeah. men. So, I mean, I had the opposite experience, honestly. Where it's like, when I got drafted the third round, I had people over the house, so it was supposed to be a celebration, but it wasn't a celebration for me. Like everyone else was happy, but I was like, man, now work starts. You know, like now. And so then I got to to Denver and was like. It was like college all over again, except I wasn't dumb enough to try to fight somebody in the locker room. But I was like, I- I'm going to fight on this field every day. And Jerry Rice, we we brought in Jerry Rice that year. He ended up not making the team. And we brought him in. And I remember yes. early on in training camp, I was like, I looked up Jerry Rice when I was a kid. I Who watched him. Yeah, he was the man. And I was lined up across from him. And I was like, I'm going to give this old man the blues. <laughs> right. And I gave that old man <laughs> yes. the blues. Yes. So it was like an opposite of welcome to the NFL moment. Yeah. I was like, and yeah. and it was during one-on-ones. And I remember everyone being crowded around. My parents came out and they're watching Ooh, practice. And I remember everyone was crowded around and all the like fans were there like, oh, Jerry Rice is here. Jerry Rice is here. Man, jam that dude into next week. <laughs> and he ended up um, retiring later on in training camp. I think he wasn't going to make the team after 20 years of, like, being the best receiver in the history of the game. So, like, I'm by no means uh, am I saying that I'm better than Jerry no, Rice. No, no, what you're but saying. 40-year-old Jerry Rice, I was going to give him the blues, and I did. What I'm hearing is, and what you're saying is, you retired Jerry Rice from the Broncos, <laughs> from the NFL. <laughs> Pretty much. That's a hell of a way to welcome yourself to the National Football League. No, that's great. The moment that you're talking about was just like doing anything next to Champ. Like, he was there. So, like, I looked up to him. We we were still pretty good friends, and we were great friends back then. But um, he would do stuff. And it's like you hear about, um, like, Michael Jordan or something where he would look around and – or I think Barry Bonds is one of those examples where he tried to become a hitting coach and he couldn't be a hitting coach because he could, because people couldn't do the stuff that he could do. And I would try to like model my game after champ because he's the best in football. He's right here. And I realized pretty quickly, it's a waste of time. Like (laughs) I can't, I can't like my body can't do those things. And my brain does not work as fast as his. Like I just can't, I need to find somebody else. I need to find a different way to play because the way that I'm going to play is not going to be the way he plays. Right, right. Wow. I've, I've heard only one other player talk like that, and that was Mike Adams, a.k.a. Pops. I played with him probably more than any other player throughout my 11 years in the National Football League. And guess who he talked about having that moment with was Champ Bailey. Yeah. So there must be a common thread to these Hall of Famers and guys that, what I mean, what was it? Was it his hips? Was it like the? It was that. It was that he could do everything. Ah, you know, like, yeah, yeah. and he was also big. Like he's mm-hmm. like six one, one ninety, mm-hmm. and also was as quick as like a slot receiver. 
and as fast as like a speedster, like he could do it all. And it also in his, it, I, I hesitate to say that it was like instinct because that suggests that it, it wasn't about study or anything, but like he was smart. Right. And like it just, I remember my year, my rookie year, he had eight or 10 interceptions. And so imagine this. He's starting that corner on one side and a third round drafted rookie starting at the corner on the other side. I got work. And so I, <laughs> yes. played, I played well. I had a great rookie season, but I was getting that work. They would throw at him three times a game. Mm. This boy somehow managed to end up with 10 interceptions. And wow. like, it just was. Yeah, that shouldn't incredible. happen. Mathematically, yeah. that shouldn't happen. Yeah, you, It was you, just you, incredible. You and, and I think that you would, just because he had un- uncommon athleticism you would think that you were open and you weren't (laughs) (laughs) right yeah and so like i'd be watching film on him and like he would jam somebody to line of scrimmage and i'm thinking all right all right so all i gotta do is move my feet laterally then i go try (laughs) to do it but i can't do it that quickly like i can't right so yeah that's what it boiled down to yeah that makes sense um so i i appreciate the time brother Uh, but i don't know if i'm going to be able to make the the workout session on saturday We, we have a, a little kitty yeah, out for, for the school. But, Dominique, I thank you for your, your time and your perspective as always, brother. I really appreciate it. I'm sure I'll see you soon or come right. by the house on the weekend and get the, was it the Cinnabons? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, not, yeah. yeah so. we, had to, we had to start. Summer's coming. We had to start making those. My wife's oh, homemade sweet. cinnamon rolls. Ooh, we had to stop making sweet. them because summer's coming. I I can't. I got to fit into my bathing suit. Stop it. Stop. You're still the same. You're still the same size. I'm so this this is what pissed me off. About uh, you're still the same. You still have the same athletic build. It still looks like you're playing. Me, well, I have to work out every day. <laughs> every day. In order for me to lose weight, I have to stop drinking wine or whiskey, stop smoking uh cigars. There's a assertive effort. So um, don't talk about weight around me. Don't don't do I'm it. Sorry. Don't, don't I'm do sorry. it. Oh, you were a much better football player than me, so you got that. You can hold it over my head. I'm slim. I don't want to hold that over your head. But you got writer. Pro Bowls under your belt. I, I want to be. I want to be a great writer. Yeah, because that's what I, that's what all little boys grow up. All six year old boys. <laughs> man, I I can't wait to write for a paper. Like, no, we want to be great football players, and that's what you were. It pays the bills. That's all that yeah. matters. It pays the bills. But I get you out of here, Dominique. Nick, all I appreciate right. it, brother. Thank you, brother. You, brother. So there you have it, my good friend and neighbor, Dominique Foxworth blessed us with his time throughout his busy schedule. He's a man of faith. He's a man of integrity. He's a man that's on a mission. And he's been a great mentor to me from the very first moment I met him. I hated him, but as things came full full circle, he's one of the smartest people I know and and one of the passionate people I know and one of the most honest. You know, and I think that is what he was at such an early age that he may not necessarily understand, but it was intimidating to some, but as we become adults, as I sit here as a 38 year old man, it makes things easier when you can be honest. And that's one thing that he wears on his sleeve is honesty. And he's not gonna hide from it. He's not gonna shy away from it. And he's a fun guy. And he's one of the people I can't say enough about that I look up to to this day and he's a mentor and a beautiful family and I'm lucky to have him and his family and little Lorenzo and his mother um, in our lives. So 
Thanks for tuning in.